The Landlord and Lawyer Podcast with Ben Beadle and Tessa Shepherdson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the December issue of the Landlord and Lawyer Podcast. And I'm with um, Ben Beadle, who's the landlord. I'm with Tessa Shepherdson, and she's the lawyer. And today we haven't got a guest. We thought that we'd just have a natter amongst ourselves. There's so much been going on during the past year. So we thought we'd just sit down and, and sort of discuss what's happened during the past year, what we think that the, the issues are, the problems, and perhaps take a bit of a peek into next year. So I suppose we better start off by talking about the pandemic, hadn't we, Ben? And, and how oh, that's been. Better. Yeah, how that's been for landlords during the past year. I mean, what what's your view? Oh, well, my view, uh, Tessa, I think is well documented. I think landlords have bent over backwards during COVID. Um, uh, you know, despite all of the rhetoric and things that are against us, we know that the vast, vast majority of landlords have bent over backwards to accommodate their tenants. And, um, uh, you know, we've made this point time and time again with ministers and others who, ex- who absolutely uh, accept that point. But let's, you know, let's not um, shy away. Landlords have taken a big hit um, and they have taken a big hit. We estimate in the region of around 300 million quid. That, that was the, uh, the estimate that we had on, on rent arrears uh, to, to varying degrees. And that means that that money uh, either hasn't been paid or, or not reached the landlord. So, you know, landlords have been caught between a rock and a hard place between, you know, having to enforce a court order or having to carry massive debt. So we've been very, very pleased, though, that in, in recent weeks, the £65 million debt fund has been announced, uh, which should, you know, doesn't touch the sides, according to our statistics, but it's you know, better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick, as, as my mother used to say to me. Absolutely, yes. I mean, at least it's something. Um, I was very interested to read um, the the tsunami of evictions, which everybody's been talking about for about the past year and a half. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. No, I I mean, it was never going to happen. What we will see is, you know, a a consistent stream uh, rather than a, a, a tsunami. And I think things like the, the debt fund will really, really help. I think mediation will really, really help. But ultimately, you know, if there is a sizable uh, uh, debt that's owed to the landlord, then that's likely only going to uh, result in one thing. And, and landlords must be able to end uh, failed tenancies uh, quickly, cheaply and, and fairly. So, um, but. As we said at the time, you know, I don't think there was ever going to be a tsunami of evictions. I would have preferred that the the funding had come a little bit earlier uh, in in the in in the pandemic, but uh, it will start to filter through to the people that need it and make an impact on the numbers. Mm. I mean, I mean, I do. I have to say, I do feel really sorry for tenants who um, who haven't been able to afford to pay their rent, and that, and there are. There are some tenants in awful distress, and and there are some landlords who haven't behaved particularly well. But um, and if you're a tenant with one of those landlords, I suppose it doesn't really matter to you that the majority of landlords have behaved well. If your landlord isn't, and there's not much no, you can do about I, it. But I think what I'd argue there, Tessa, is um, it, you know it works the other way as well. You know there are some tenants that have badly taken advantage of the of the situation and rendered you know landlords absolutely helpless 
you know, in terms of being able to either get their property back, not pay the rent or both. So, look, you know, there's good and bad of all sorts. We know that what we what we can say with confidence, though, is the vast majority of tenants have met their obligations and the vast majority of landlords have bent over backwards to help their tenants. And that's the way that it should be. Mm. I mean, it's interesting, actually, because it looks as if um, uh, residential landlords have done better during the pandemic than commercial landlords, because if if you if it's your home, you make more of an effort to pay your rent than if it's if it's for your shop, you know, so. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have liked to have been a commercial landlord during uh, during yeah. COVID, that, that's for sure. And, yeah, that's still got some way to to, to play out, I think. You know, hopefully, uh, as we, well, I don't know if we are in, embarking uh, back to normality, obviously, um, you know, changes in recent days to, to things like masks, etc. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have liked to have been a, a, a commercial landlord during uh, COVID, and I also wouldn't have liked to have had a a, a won't pay tenant uh, during COVID if, as a residential landlord. Fortunately, neither have applied to me. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, some people will argue that that's the risk that you take as a landlord, and I think that uh, I'm not quite sure I I, I agree with that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a commercial landlord, but uh, for those that are affected, it's been absolutely dire. There's no question about that. Yeah, I mean, I I did have one landlord contact me who was um who was a pensioner. Um, and he said he just got it so that the income from his his rented property sort of covered his expenses because he didn't get much of a pension. And apparently the tenants were refusing to pay, knew he couldn't evict them and were inviting all their friends to come and live there free, free of charge. I mean, I imagine that's quite an exceptional case, but I did feel very, very sorry for him. I mean, uh, if you've been caught up in, in that situation, that's bloody awful. You know, it's I, absolutely diabolical. Yeah. And there's there's nothing really that you could do. I mean, this was last year when, you know, I think I think he contacted me when he, he wasn't able, able even to start proceedings. You know, I think it could have been yeah. during the, the moratorium. But um, yeah, I mean, these, these things, you know, it's, it's both sides, you know, it's been it's been a, it's been a tough time for everybody, really. So it has. Um, but I think I think I do think overall, Tessa, if you look at it, take a step back and remove uh, the obvious bias that I have, it's um. You know, it is interesting to see the housing sector once again uh, proving its resilience. You know, for those that have been caught up in the adverse impacts of the COVID of, of or obviously, you know, I doubt they would agree. But but actually, if you if you look at if you take a step back and look at the whole housing sector, um, it's 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 been super important to the recovery. You know, as you would have seen from my article in the past couple of weeks, demand is at an all time high. Um, you know, there's a lot to be positive about, and I, I just hope that as we as we move into 2022, that this is a, a springboard for future growth and, and prosperity. It's interesting also that during this sort of pandemic period, there have been some interesting new mediation services. I mean, the, the, the TDS and the PRS have both um, launched new mediation services which landlords and, and tenants can use to resolve their difficulties outside of the courts. I was really interested to read that they are considering changing the legal aid system uh, to provide um, a new uh, legal aid service for tenants, which they can act, because at the moment, um, the main sort of free legal aid service that you get for tenants is when they're actually at court. And of course, everybody agrees that's really too late. Um, so, exactly right. So yeah, what you no, need? I, I, 
is is a is a is a legal aid service where someone can speak to a solicitor, you know, quite a few weeks before then. Um, and and hopefully that will change. I mean the I mean, when I first started as, as a solicitor, when I first set up my, my, my solicitor's practice a very long time ago, you know, everybody did legal aid. All solicitors did legal aid. It was, you know, I mean, large part of my income as a solicitor when I first set up was legal aid work. And it's gradually been chipped and chipped away until there's hardly any of it left. And, no, indeed. Um, I mean, I think I think there's two principal points there, Tessa. You know, first of all, the conciliation services that have sprung up during COVID, for me, ought to play a longer term part in in the resolution of of housing mm. disputes, particularly as Section Twenty One uh, will most likely uh, be removed in the next couple of years or so. You know, what you're going to be dealing with really are fault based um, uh, issues. So uh, invariably, that means if there is a fault, then there's a remedy to that fault. Uh, and, you know, if you're serious about um, sustaining the tenancy, then conciliation is a really, really good way to go. But similarly, um, if you uh, if that hasn't worked and you need to get into the court process, then we do need to have advice much earlier. As, as you as you know, we mm. sat on the, and continue to sit actually on the master of the roles working group uh, for possession. Uh, during COVID and obviously came up with the golden rules around what mm. landlords should look to do. Yeah. All common sense stuff that any decent landlord would be doing anyway, frankly. But uh, I, I do think that part of the problem is, you know, if you do actually get somebody turn up on the day, then, you know, of course they need advice and, and representation. And the system needs to be, uh, 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 needs to lend itself to that advice coming right up front. Yeah. Um, uh, and almost going from conciliation straight into that advice if, if court proceedings is to be the next step, because, you know, um, uh, what you don't you really, really want as a landlord and, you know, an, an informed discussion about the problems that are going on. And but, you know, as I uh, know firsthand from my own experience, invariably, if you do issue a notice, that's the last you hear of your tenant. So I'm I'm happy that. Uh, um, judiciary have listened to the calls of NRLA and others about the need for that to come earlier. I am slightly sceptical about, you know, the level of engagement that will ever be achieved during the court process, because there is something about receiving that, that notice and, you know, the ostrich effect uh, taking yeah. place. So, but that's, that's a job for tenant groups to make sure that, yeah. you know, tenants are engaged in the process, know their rights, etc. I mean, from the tenant's point of view, and for any tenants listening to this, it's really important that you you do go and get advice because so often the landlords make mistakes, and um, if a landlord makes a mistake, you've probably got a defence. So um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is all about the defence, actually. It is, um, and and making sure that that can be dealt with well ahead of the the actual uh, trial to, or the trial, big pardon, uh, the hearing, um, uh, to make sure that things can you know proceed in a speedy and satisfactory way. But it is really important that landlords get things right. Um, I mean, the the process. I mean. Evicting tenants through the court, I always say, is, is sort of like the easy end of litigation, but it's deceptively simple because if you get it right, it seems really easy. But if you make a mistake, 
it's an absolute nightmare. It can take you forever to sort it out. It's going to be very expensive. You may end up paying your tenants legal costs if they go and manage to get legal aid, which they might do. So, you know, it's really important that landlords get things right. And it's really important that tenants check things out and don't just stuff the letter in a, in a, in a drawer and yeah. hope it's not happening. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think this is the sort of thing, Tessa, that, you know, organisations like NRLA and Landlord Law are you know, worth their weight in gold. But mm. if you do to, to, to get into um, uh, an eviction, if you've explored every route, then you do need to make sure that you know, you've got somebody like yourself, Paul Champlina, David Smith, somebody there that knows their, knows their onions and is, is going to do, do all of this for you. Because it's a false economy to think that you can do it by yourself. Yeah. 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 But um, hopefully it's not going to be quite so bad for the courts and everybody thought. Um, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, the court service haven't allowed it to be. You know, they put the brakes on. You know, they're, they're, they've got those awful review hearings uh, that have slowed things down massively. And we're pleased that those um, are going, yeah. are, 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 are going, if not, if not gone. Um, but I do think now the, I know we've got the Renters Reform Bill to kind of look forward to, but a key part of that will have to be, um, you know, how the court service can modernise and support court users uh, about, um, you know, not waiting forever in the day for, for justice. Whatever the rhetoric around eviction and repossession, that sort of stuff, at the end of the day, if you've legitimately served a notice on your tenants, uh, correctly and legally, you have uh, an expectation that that is to be dealt with um, swiftly. Uh, yeah. And that's not the case. Uh, COVID or no COVID, it's not the case. And so there's a big opportunity with the new master of the roles um, uh, to look at a greater use of technology, look at uh, mediation services, uh, look at uh, all of the support that can come earlier in the process to, to make the actual uh, rest of the process uh, plain sailing. Um, mm. uh, that's what we want, and that's uh, certainly going to be a challenge for us in 2022. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, what else have we got to look forward to? Well, we've got. Um, well, I mean, I think this is going to be a real problem for landlords. We've got the energy efficiency. Oh, um, joy. Um, and uh, the the um, the work that landlords are going to have to do to their properties to um, bring them up to the, the standard. Um, I yeah. think they're saying that it, that because at the moment, landlords properties need to have, need to be, have an energy efficiency rating of E, which, which yeah. most properties are able to manage, but they're due to go up to C, what is it, 2025? That's right. Um, word on the street says that that might have been pushed back a year. Um, to 2026 but we are expecting a pre-christmas announcement on this tessa um mm. uh, around not just the well we know it's going to be uh, a c but how long it will take you to get there and also uh, for new tenancies and how long you've got to deal with uh existing tenancies but also the cost cap which is um uh, muted to be in the region of ten thousand pounds and you know given the levels of revenue that landlord profit that that landlords are are are, are taking away um that's going to be a significant hit uh, particularly if you've got two or three properties so i mean i find myself in the position that all of my properties are a d <laughs> yeah um, so you know i'm going to be uh, hemorrhaging a few quid by the, by the sounds of it over the next few years which I don't mind doing. Um, uh, I'm in this for the for the long term. But if you are 
you know, one property uh, owning uh, landlord, um, you know, this might put some people off. We're already seeing some signs of that because I think you have to add this to the plethora of other things uh, that landlords have had to contend with, whether that's tax changes in relation to mortgage interest and wear and tear, whether that is the backdrop of greater regulation, which personally I don't think landlords should worry about, but I know that they do uh, worry about, or whether it's about um, the general confidence uh, uh, that investors have around things like Section 21 uh, going. And uh, as I say, you know, I'm, I'm more upbeat about those types of things because I, I suspect that the, the replacement for them will allow landlords to mm. take possession of their properties um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way uh, maybe not quite as easy as Section 21 allows, but certainly being cognizant that um, this whole no fault uh, thing doesn't really exist. It's just a myth. Um, uh, just because you don't have to have a reason doesn't mean there isn't one. And mm. certainly my discussions with Eddie Hughes and Chris Pincher in recent weeks, um, they understand that. They, they totally appreciate that landlords need to have confidence around a reformed Section 8 process. So, um, but, you know, if you add all of this to the mix and chuck energy on top, um, you know, uh, I, I have every sympathy with landlords that, that might be looking at premium bonds as alternative options. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the things that really worry me, um, some of the practical things that really worry me about the energy efficiency thing. First of all, it, it's very hard to find decent um, people to actually do the work. Um, in fact, taking a step back from that, landlords have got to work out what the works are that they need to do. And in that context, yeah. I have been reading worrying articles about how the energy performance certificate criteria themselves are not really right. And that the things no, that they're, they're recommending that landlords do are not are sort of based on outdated criteria. I mean, they're recommending gas rather than electricity. And they're sort of based on a time when, when, when electricity wasn't, um, I mean, at the moment, a, a very large percentage of, of electric energy is, is renewable. Um, and that's not really reflected in, in the EPC and, and how it works. So I'm, I'm really concerned about that because, um, you know, I wouldn't want landlords to do works based on the EPC and think they've got to see and then for the criteria to change and then, then to find that they're you know, going to have to do it again. Or I, I don't know. It's just it's just it just seems to be a mess, don't you think? I, I, I do. I, I do agree on this. And I think, um, you know, I mean, the other thing is, as you know, as we eventually will move to heat pumps and uh, and electricity. Yeah, you know, the fact of the matter is, A, it's more costly you know, to, to do those types of things in terms of acquiring them, but also they are more costly to run. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but I mean, we haven't so, really sorted out. I mean, there doesn't, we haven't really sorted out what the right thing is to do because there's all this talk about green hydrogen, um, Ecotristy are talking about green gas, you know, are heat pumps the way to go? Would it be better to encourage people to, to, to you know I don't know have electric radiator I don't know but it it just seems the whole area is in a state of flux because there are these new technologies which, which people are really developing as fast as they can but they're not here now um, no I, I, I and, and you know the government is obviously taking a long-term view on this which I get but you know the, the point around you know whether it's 25 or 20 2026 uh, is that 
you know, they're taking a punt on the long term, but landlords are going to have to, you know, make some pretty swift decisions in the short term when these yeah. things haven't been fully bottomed out. And uh, I worry about that. I worry about it. And, and also about, you know, the, the contractor side of it. You know, are they training up lots of people to be able to fit these heat pumps? Um, are they training up people to, to provide advice to landlord and householders who, who are usually a bit clueless? Um, I mean, I was I was talking to an organisation a while ago and they were saying that the people who really um, upgraded their properties properly and got a really you know high energy, um, if A is high, um, they're the ones who've really studied the subject and, and, you know, become expert themselves to do it. But I mean, you can't expect ordinary people to do that. They've got their own jobs. And it, the whole thing is just so complicated. Um, I, I suspect a lot of people are just thinking, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I, I sympathise with those people that are, are in that sort of bracket and, and worried about uh, uh, worried about it. I think what I would say is we are expecting an announcement on energy before Christmas, mm. which should hopefully give a clearer uh, direction of, of travel. Um, but there's no doubt that, you know, that there's going to be some unwanted news before christmas because you know whether it's 2025 or 2026 okay it's you know better to have a longer leading time because you can prepare for it but it's still coming and i don't disagree with the direction of travel i just think there's so many you know unknowns as we say about the technologies that um you know yeah. that are meant to exist i mean I, I i'm all for properties being upgraded i mean we ought to do our house but i'm in the same situation i'm not entirely sure what i'd have to do who i need to go to you know, it's just no. uh, it's a bit of an unknown for people um it, it absolutely is and i think you know if i recall tessa you're in a victorian property and yeah. um it, you know if you were to uh, have to make some check some significant changes to that that's likely to be expensive um, uh, and it's also likely to be pretty ugly if you're talking about, you know, external or internal cladding slash wall insulation to, you know, to meet these, um, uh, mm. these goals. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to do that. I mean, I, I've got to move the dial from D to C, which I think I can do without, you know, breaking the bank. But um, it, once, once those easy bits are done, then, you know, you are into the realms of that sort of external cladding uh changing the boiler uh and yeah i mean our yeah, house uh, our house for know, example uh, double, double glazing um and so forth yeah i mean our house for example which is similar to many houses that are rented out um where, where i am in fact next door we've got we've got rented properties so they are exactly the same you know we're on a main road with uh, with a, a, a brick i mean I, I can't really stick up a um, an insulation cladding up the front of the house, although we yeah. could stick it up the back of the house. It, it's just difficult to know what to do. But um, it's, it's, this is going to be a problem for everybody. We're going to yeah. have to sort it. No, we are. But you know, the one thing I do know about landlords um, uh, is that we're a resilient bunch. Um, and, you know, love uh, or dislike us, um, you know, we're very agile and we're very nimble. And so, you know, these rules will come out, landlords will work out what they need to do uh, with support from, from us too. Um, and they will do one or two things. They will either do it or they won't. And yeah. they sell up. 
And, yeah. uh, and the point I've made to, um, uh, to ministers is, you know, I, I get the direction is you know, wanting to, to squeeze uh, landlords a bit. I understand that uh, and I understand the, the direction of travel towards greater regulation. Um, but just be careful what you wish for on this because um, you know, squeeze us too much. We are actually the only buggers that are providing housing at the moment. Um, yeah. I know you've got build to rent uh, people around, but even if all of the, the, the pipeline is built, that would equate to about 4% of the total housing stock. So yeah. you know, a build to rent is not the panacea that everybody thinks it is. Um, and you know, clearly the government are not, don't have a mass house building campaign. So uh, actually you kind of need us. Uh, yes, I mean, if if um, if fifty percent of landlords sell up, um, I mean, those properties will still exist. It's not like they're going to knock them down or something, but they won't be available for people who are only able to afford rented property. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so that is that is going to be a problem. I mean, one of the best solutions would be to to build a lot more social housing, and. Um, there, there are, um, you know, I mean, there is modular, modular building, you know, I mean, if, if the, the funding was available and local authorities were able to do that, I'm sure they could build um, very en energy efficient modular housing reasonably cheaply if it was done, you know, a, a lot of it with economies of scale. Yeah, but um, think of the lead time, Tessa. Yeah, it's going to take a while, isn't it? You know, um, you know, we could both be in a box six foot under by the time this comes to fruition. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you yeah, uh, a cheery image. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, the, but the, the need is here and the need is now, isn't it? And, mm. um, it, you know, uh, the, and the only people ultimately that benefit from uh, a greater squeeze on property owners and landlords, uh, sorry, the only, the only people who... Um, who suffer uh, if landlords squeeze, uh, if, if I get my teeth in a minute. The only, <laughs> the, the only, yeah, I will get this sentence out. The only people uh, that, that suffer uh, uh, if government squeeze landlords is tenants because yeah. you have uh, diminishing supply, you have increasing uh, costs of living, you have uh, a lack of choice, and it's not as if there is a viable alternative at the moment. So I, I have no problem if the government wants to build uh, a significant uh, amount of uh, social and affordable homes, but I'd probably suggest they stop selling off uh, local authority properties, uh, certainly in England, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. sometime soon, because yeah, it, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make it sense. It doesn't. They've already stopped it in Wales and Scotland. Exactly. I don't know why they haven't stopped it in England. I mean, it, it's just totally crazy. Um, but um, that's that's the way of it. No, Ooh. it is. It is. And uh, we'll see what 2022 brings, but I suspect it won't bring a big house building campaign. I mean, one thing that um, 2022 is going to bring is the white paper. For, well, we hope it's going to bring the white paper for the renters reform bill. Um, do you yeah. have any thoughts on that? I mean, that's that's going to bring forward the proposals for doing away with Section 21 and what it's going to put in its place. Um, amongst other things um yeah uh, so um we will see it in 2022 i'm confident about that but i don't think it will be early in 2022 we've just had a round table with minister eddie hughes around safety standards and compliance and there are still more round tables to come um mm. and that's going to have to be 
you know, boiled down or distilled down into a, a strategy of some description to go into a white paper. <laughs> um, mm. And, you know, people will, will want to comment on the white paper, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, so it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's been kicked into the long grass, um, uh, but it has been, yeah, if you think about where we were a year ago, there was far more urgency around the Rensis reform bill, maybe just before COVID thinking about it. But um, I am pleased it is um, going to come out in the form of a white paper because it does mean that the industry players are able to contribute to the thinking on it. Um, yeah. uh, and because as we've said on this podcast many times, Tessa, you know, this is, uh, well, aside from energy, this is the biggest change that the sector will have seen in, in 30 years. And we've got things like landlord redress. We've obviously got Section 21 and, and Section 8 and the replacement, uh, hopefully court reform. We, we've also got the musings of a landlord register. We've got a lifetime deposit. Um, as I made the point a couple of weeks ago to Eddie Hughes, you ain't going to be able to do that all at once. Um, yeah. So, where does your priority lay? And I'm not so sure. I know there's been lots of noise around the landlord register. Um, I can't think that that is a priority, to be honest with you. Mm. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of dispute about landlord register. Some people think it's a really good idea. Some people think it's a total waste of time, and it doesn't really help. So um, I don't know. I mean, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it'll help? I mean, I. I I mean, it, it seems to me that it would be a good idea for people, for the government to know who landlords are, um, although I suppose they can track that to a certain extent through the deposit scheme records. Well, I mean, I do say for what purpose? Because the purpose hasn't been articulated. So if we want the landlord register or we're exploring the merits of an idea for a landlord register. OK, what do you want it to do? Um, you know, you've got a road landlord left, uh, register with a dozen people on it uh, that nobody can see. Uh, you've got uh, banning orders that you can you can utilise. Um, you know, the whole point around this is what do you want to do with that data? And also, haven't you already got the bloody data? Uh, whether it's deposit schemes, whether it's tax data, whether it's council tax data. Actually, my argument is you already know where landlords are. Uh, you, you, know, you just don't have a data solution to bring it together. The bit that I'm keen to avoid, frankly, is that, you know, somebody like Capita gets their hands on it and, and charges yeah. landlords 500 quid, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think the case is not made for a landlord register because I don't know what the government seeks, to, what they want to get from that data. I mean, going back to know where people are, they already know that. I mean, going back to our very first podcast episode with the wonderful Kate Faulkner, um, it may be possible to do the landlord register by another way through unique property reference numbers or whatever they're called. I totally agree. And this is the proposal that we've put to the ministry, which is, yeah, if you're going to do landlord redress, then you will want to know what landlords are a member of that redress scheme and which properties slash tenancies are covered by that service. Well, there's your landlord register. Uh, And also at the same time, you can very clearly link uh, compliance information to the registration of that property um, uh, with the gas certificate, the electrical certificate, whatever key documents that, 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 that you need. Um, and I think this is far more about housing compliance than it is about, um, uh, you know, knowing where the landlord is. You know, uh, do I worry that um, 
you know, tenants are going to have my address. Of course I don't. They've already got my address. You know, they, they've got it in the tenancy agreement. They know where I live. Yeah. Uh, they know my number. They know my email address. They know I'm licensed. They know uh, they've got all of the compliance information. What the hell would you know, a landlord register do? That said, Tessa, I'm not against it. Um, mm. But I just, I just don't think the case uh, is made for one uh, at the moment because the case has to be made around what the output should be. What do you want from this data? Mm. Um, and I, I, I put it that not only uh, do tenants, uh, do my tenants, you know, have all of the uh, of my vital statistics in order to to contact me. Um, actually, so so does government. Um, mm. They're sat on it. Uh, so you know, I. I worry that that um, a landlord register has become one of those rhetorical things that yeah. uh, certain groups call for just for the sake of calling for them without articulating yeah. what they actually want to do with it. And the other thing that, that, that that's linked to this, I think, is and, and we've been doing a lot of work on this um, is. I think for any uh, change to the sector going into 2022, the Renters Reform Bill, the whole issue of regulatory compliance and enforcement needs to be addressed. You know, we have these ridiculous um, uh, uh, you know, compliance regimes that vary from local authority to local authority, as the NRLA has exposed in recent weeks. You know, uh, less than uh, about half of local authorities haven't used the powers that have been given to them. Yeah. Um, well, we understand why the reason we understand the reason you know, everyone's under the cost. Local authorities, um, you know, do not have the resources that they need. But if we're serious about housing and serious about rooting out uh, the baddies that exist in the sector and give ourselves a bad name, we have to make that investment in uh, in enforcement and local authority enforcement. Because actually, I think it's the right sort of model. Um, yeah. I just think it's so variable that it doesn't it doesn't command confidence, and that's what we need. It's very unfair as well because if you're um, if you if if you're a bad landlord in local authority A, you may be prosecuted and fined and possibly even sent to prison. To prison. Whereas if yeah. you're a bad landlord in local authority B, nothing will happen to you and you'll get away with it. Uh, I mean that's not fair, is it? No, absolutely. And and also it does nothing for the tenants either. No. <laughs> what do you think? Um, the government ought to focus on then what what do you think ought to come first in this list of of issues that need to be resolved i i think uh, they need to crack on with possession reform yeah um, i do think that actually removing section 21 and enhancing uh, the provisions around section 8 will have actually have quite a lot of knock-on effects on some of the other things that they want to do mm. uh, and i'd rather they did that first than yeah. you know titted around with landlord registration etc because i do think um uh, whatever your thoughts about section 21 going and i, I get that it's a, a divisive issue for landlords what landlords say to me is why would i evict a tenant without a good reason why would i give somebody a notice if there wasn't a reason to do so and and i just i take that comment and i think okay well you know, this is, this can be dealt with. Uh, uh, concerns can be allayed by enhancements to Section Eight. I do think, however, it will change behaviour and force people to think differently. And I think there's a time that that needs to bed in. So mm. my preference would be that you they uh, crack on with removal of Section Twenty One um, and and articulate what the replacement uh, to it should look like. Uh, hopefully, uh, fully endorsing the NRLA's beautiful proposals that we have presented to the ministry um, uh, and actually uh, joking aside designed with 
a lot of discussion uh, with our mm. members and landlords about you know, the pain points, uh, particularly around access. Uh, I can't get in to do my gas certificate and I'm in breach. Okay, yeah, well, you know, that needs to be a ground. Big yeah. big problem. And, and this is where um, Section 21 is very effective at being able to deal with those types of things. And it's important, therefore, that that whatever possession regime, with the caveat that um, you know it's a last resort, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, yeah, they do need to cover things like that. And for those of you that, that are listening that haven't seen the NRLA's uh, proposals, uh, ha have a look on our website and uh, there's a, a manifesto uh, brochure that, that sets out in real detail about what the timing should be, uh, how it would work, whether it's mandatory or discretionary, uh, grounds, uh, etc. And that's the sort of detail that we need now. You know, everyone's bored with uh, being uh, calling for Section 21. We have to have a sensible debate about what that replacement looks like. And uh, I, I feel that we're, we're advancing the debate on that. Yeah, I mean, Section 21 is a bit of a mess at the moment because it's so complicated to do. Um, I mean, many, many landlords, as I said before, get it wrong. Um, I think if landlords knew that they would be able to evict a tenant easily if they weren't paying serious non-payment um, and there was a route for them to recover property if they needed to sell it or live in themselves, most landlords wouldn't bother about Section 21 going. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why, you know, there is uh, an acceptance that... Um, you know, if we are using Section 8 for rent arrears, then that ought to be um, as speedy as possible because it's it's not open to interpretation. If there's a counterclaim, sure, you know, that needs to be to be mm. dealt with. But the reality is, Tessa, you know, if there are if you are several thousand pounds in arrears, um, you're not engaging with your landlord, you're not trying to resolve the issue. I can only take from that that you're not serious about sustaining your tenancy. And therefore, that needs to give, be given heightened recognition uh, in possession circles, in, in, in you know, uh, as being a, almost a fast track. What's there to disagree with? Um, uh, so, yeah, I would be looking for some concessions like that because, as the government have, have acknowledged, uh, they understand that small landlords are highly susceptible to rent, rent arrears, and the system does need to reflect that. There's is there a problem that the um, that that the white paper is going to be um, presumably from the from the levelling up department, but that the court rules um, that would need to be changed are are from a, a different government department? Is there going to be a problem with sort of spreading things out over different government departments? What are you, what are you insinuating, Tessa? That government <laughs> departments don't talk to each other? What an outrageous accusation to make! Well, this is something that um, I, I have heard from time to time. <laughs> Probably from me. Um, uh, Possibly, not just from you. I'm, I'm sure other people have mentioned that. Well, what I can tell you is that the judiciary are fully engaged in the um, white paper discussions because oh, that good. was a concern the NRLA raised. You know, yeah. we're talking about some things that, that frankly, um, are reliant on other uh, departments and teams to be able to implement. But I'm very pleased that that they are that MOJ are full and HMCTS are are engaged with the discussions about rental reform. Um, uh, and a number of judges actually are, 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 are sort of been sought views. So I, I, you know, the devil will be in the detail as ever, but it's a, it's a, yeah, a, good, a good start, I think. Okay, well, um, I think we better move towards the end of this. First of all, Ben, can you give me a link for your um, 
um, the the golden rules and things, and I'll yes. put that on the uh, on on the podcast page. Um, looking towards next year, if you were if you had one sort of tip that you give to landlords moving forward, what would it be? I mean, obviously, aside from joining the NRLA and subscribing well, or landlord to landlord law. law. <laughs> yeah, well, I was getting there. I was getting there. Um, my my tip is, I think, hang in there. Because, you know, I, I, I get there's a, 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 a lot of change um, uh, and not always will change be for the better. But I still think, you know, if we think about the resilience that the housing sectors has has shown in the past 18 months, I still think it's a good place to be. Um, mm. uh, now, that will vary according to individual circumstances. I get that. Um, but for me, it's still a sound investment, and that's what it is at the end of the day. But you've got to make sure your house is in order. Yeah, you, we've got to be doing things properly. We've got to be um, absolutely whiter than white. So I, I, I think it's going to be probably like one of those white knuckle rides um, at Tessa. You know, um, particularly if you're at the at the front. Um, yeah, it's going to feel a, a little bit scary, but you know, when you get off, yeah. you're, you're still alive. So uh, yeah, what more do you want? I mean, I think I'd probably say to landlords two things. First of all, I'd say investigate um, properly insulating your properties um, because that is something that's definitely going to need to be done. So look into that and try and get that done if you can. And I think my other thing I'd say to landlords is make sure that you are aware of what is happening. Um, keep your ear to the ground so that uh, you, you, you are fully up to date with any regulatory changes. Um, when the white paper is published, you know, read the information about it, answer the consultation so that your views are made to government and, and generally keep up to date, which you can do through A, the NRLA or B, landlord law. Landlord law, indeed, absolutely. But also what I, what I would also urge people, if, you, yeah, if you've got strong views about the direction of travel, write to your MP. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, write to your MP, ask them to write to the Secretary of State. Um, if For those that are NRLA members, there's a great template on the members section where you can write to your MP. Get, uh, you know, we obviously do a lot of engagement, as you know, Tessa, and, and lobbying on behalf of members. But, you, you know, there's nothing more powerful than an individual story to an mm. MP. And that's yeah. actually where you know, a lot of tenant groups have done quite well, because, uh, you know, those individual uh, hard, uh, stories of hardship uh, you know, uh, clearly impress upon uh, yeah. MPs, and we have to do the same. We did it during during COVID, and we should we should continue to do that. So that would be my other tip. Yeah. Well, we will be talking about all of these things next year, um, and uh, we will be having new guests, new podcasts, new discussions. So uh, I think probably uh, watch this space watch this space and should we miss, uh, wish everybody a Merry Christmas we should wish everybody a Merry Christmas a very Merry Christmas to you and a Happy New Year indeed thanks for listening folks thank you bye bye